turn in your ESV Bibles, or if you uh, don't have a Bible with you, uh, find our bulletin insert that has our passage of Scripture printed upon it. We're turning to the 15th chapter of Paul's letter to the church at Rome, where we will read the first 13 verses. And this, just by the way, as an aside, is a text... Uh, that Dietrich Bonhoeffer would use at weddings. So you can see that wedding theme in it as you read uh, through this passage, but uh, that's not really what Paul's talking about. Uh, Let's read the Word of God together. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good To build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the uncircumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with His people. And again... Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol Him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. Of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Two or three weeks ago, I came home one day and Sarah gave me one of those questions that wives often have for their husbands or husbands have for their wives, and that is just the simple question, how was your day? And my reply was, oh, it was all right. You know, the words said one thing, but the tone of the words uh, said something else. And so she followed with another question. Well, did something happen at the church? And thankfully, no, that day, nothing bad or untoward had happened at the church. You see, I was down in the dumps that particular day because this uh, project car, my hobby that I've been working on for over three years... And, you know, when you work on something that long, you you just really get to the point 
where you want to drive it. I mean, I've enjoyed working on the car, but I wanted to drive it. And it happened to be in a shop getting a few odds and ends taken care of that uh, things I didn't know how to do or couldn't do at, at my garage, one of which was fine-tuning the carburetors. It has two of them. And they didn't have good news for me. In fact, it was running worse than when I drove it to the shop in the first place. And in the meantime, it had developed an issue with the spark. And, you know, if your motor doesn't have spark, it will not run. And sometimes it had spark and sometimes it didn't. And to be so close to getting to enjoy it and to have those kinds of issues just coming up one right after the other, it sort of uh, made me momentarily lose hope. If you've ever built a new house, you know what I'm talking about. You put all of this time, you make all of these decisions, you spend all of this money, and finally it comes to the point you're ready to live in that house. You don't want to hear the contractor say these things about how, well, the painter, you know, he's taken longer than, than what he said he would take. And, you know, the tile for the bathroom, it, it was, it was back-ordered. And then the Finnish carpenter, you know, uh, last night he was playing with his kids in the yard and he sprained his ankle and he's going to be out at least a week. And that's when you're ready to say, well, that Finnish carpenter can stand on one foot. I mean, I'm ready for this house to be done. I'm ready to live in it. And that day I, I began to feel that, you know, I would never get to drive that car. Now, granted, in the eternal scheme of things, we're not talking about anything that's important. That's the good news. But the bad news that day just had me a little deflated because without hope in all of life, it's hard to hang in there and persevere when we all of a sudden receive news that we're not ready to hear. And many of you have had that kind of news in your life. And you know that's the time when you especially need hope to be strong and crystal clear. But as Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story is I stopped by a week or so later to that shop. They had fixed the spark issue. They had tuned the carburetors. It was running much better. And then a freak accident with the steering column took out my electronic ignition Oh, so what's another hundred dollars? I mean, but with good news about the carburetors, I was seeing light at the end of the tunnel. My hope was restored. I actually picked up the car this week, and it's out in the parking lot for you to see. As all of us know, hope is important. And that subject's near and dear to Paul's heart as well. Uh, especially in this passage where in just 13 verses he mentions that word four different times. But as you can see from verse 1, that is not where he begins. Instead, he begins with these words, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Now, by way of review, 
in the last chapter, the 14th chapter, Paul has been talking about the relationship of strong and weak Christians in the life of the church, especially when it comes to morally indifferent issues. And the teaching he gave there in chapter 14 was really based upon his teaching in chapter 13 about this genuine love that we're to have for one another. How we, in essence, fulfill the law through love. And this love for one another, the love we can have because God first loved us in Jesus Christ, this love enables us through the power of the Holy Spirit to treat one another in the right way, to not judge one another as he told us in chapter 14 but to love one another as Christ has loved us. And it's the same reason why these strong Christians have this obligation to bear with the failings of the weak when it comes to these non-essentials of the faith, what we eat, what we drink, when we go to worship, those sorts of things. And we need to stop to remember here that one part of this issue is that some of the weak may be what Paul would call weak all of their lives. I don't think Paul is hoping or praying that all of these believers in the Roman church will come to the same opinion on these non-essential issues. Rather, he is praying, especially in verse 5 and following, that they may hold on to a, a unity of purpose that manages to transcend the differences they have with one another. In other words, some people may have scruples in their lives and they might have those scruples the rest of their lives. Then the other side to this of how the strong needs to treat the weak is that I think we need to understand, just like Jesus said, we'll always have the poor with us will also always have the weak in the life of the church if the church is doing what the church is supposed to be doing. If the church is proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, if, if the lost are being saved, then they're always going to be weaker Christians in the life of the church. Now in verse 3, we see Paul give us the reason why we are to please others in the fellowship because of the example of Jesus. He writes, For Christ did not please Himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So Paul points us to Jesus. This is nothing new. We see Paul do that over and over again in his letters for how and why We are to live. Think about how he does it in Philippians 2 where he says, Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. You know, you're supposed to act as Jesus did. You're to follow his example. He follows the same pattern. In 2 Corinthians 8, when Paul calls on the Christians in Corinth to give generously so as to prove that their love is genuine. What motivation does he give there? He points once again to Jesus Christ. He writes, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. But this time, instead of talking about Jesus directly, 
explaining something that Jesus did or giving some story from his life. Notice what Paul does. He quotes Psalm 69.9 from the Old Testament to give embellishment upon the life of Christ and how he lived and why. It's like Paul saying, if you want a role model, then go to Jesus. In fact, in verse 1, when Paul says that the strong are to bear with the failings of the weak, that's the same word used in the New Testament for Jesus bearing His own cross. When Jesus chose to please us with the gift of salvation, instead of pleasing Himself and holding on to His physical life in this world. And since Paul has just quoted from Psalm 69, he stops long enough here to talk about the importance of Scripture in verse 4. For whatever was written in former days, he says, was written for our instruction that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. And with these words about the Old Testament, that's where we see the topic of hope introduced in our text And if you're like me, you wonder why he does that. You know, why does all of a sudden he begin to talk about hope, especially within this context where he's talking about the strong and the weak? Well, I think it's that the word Gentile is the key here because these Old Testament texts near the end that he quotes one right after the other have to do with the Gentiles, you see. And so a logical argument or answer for that that many would make is that since it seems that the weak Christians in Rome were those who had scruples about eating meat and and holy days and those sorts of things, then they were most likely Jewish Christians. They were Jews who had been converted to Christianity, which means that the strong were primarily Gentiles. Thus it may be that Paul introduces the concept of hope here because of what he tells us in Ephesians 2 where he's speaking to Gentiles there, saying to them, you remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now those Gentiles in Ephesus, before they were converted, had no hope because they were separated from Christ. They were without Him. You see, Jesus is the source of our hope. Always. Peter says as much in his first letter where he gives us that wonderful uh, verse reminding us that by the mercy of God we have been born anew to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and to an inheritance which is imperishable undefiled, unfading, one that is kept in heaven for you. This wonderful gift of God's love and redemption in Christ is why we have hope. It's all about His life, His death, His resurrection, and now His sovereign rule at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. This is the foundation of our hope, and that never changes. But as John Piper puts it, we change, don't we? You know, some days everything's okay and we're floating along on cloud nine. 
And then something bad happens. And in the next moment, we're vulnerable, we're, we're fragile, we're fickle, we're emotionally unstable. So the question is, Piper says, what keeps our hearts fixed on Christ who is our hope? And Paul's answer here in our text is the Holy Word of God, the Scriptures. You want to sustain and awaken your hope? You want to strengthen your hope? You read God's Holy Word. And that answer should make sense to us because all of Scripture is about God and what He has done and is doing for us in Jesus Christ. In other words, the Bible and all of the Bible proclaims the good news of Jesus. Even the Old Testament. You know, sometimes we think, you know, the Old Testament, it's hard to read. It's, it's from a different culture totally. You know, I mean, when you read from the right side of the page to the left, that's pretty different. And that's what you do in Hebrew. And, you know, Middle Easterners think so differently than we do. I mean, and so we just don't spend as much time in the Old Testament, and yet we should. That's what Paul's doing. He's quoting the Old Testament right and left throughout this letter because the Old Testament proclaims Jesus Christ. It proclaims His good news. It proclaims God's act of redemption in the gift of His own Son, the Messiah. If you don't agree with that, just remember Jesus' words in John 5 when He says, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and yet it is they that bear witness to me. Now what scriptures was Jesus talking about? He was talking about the Old Testament. None of the New Testament had been written yet when he said those words. It's the Old Testament that bears witness to Jesus Christ. That's why Paul can take a psalm like 69, which is a psalm of David, where David's talking about himself and all of a sudden superimpose Jesus into that psalm. And those words are the words of Jesus because Psalm 69 is pointing us toward Jesus Christ, just like all of the Old Testament. And because it is about God's grace through Him, that's why Paul tells us that as we spend time in Scripture, we gain two things both endurance and encouragement. As I quoted last week, remember that great verse in Hebrews 12, let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to what? Looking to whom? To Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. As we look to Jesus, as we see Him in God's Word, we're given and find the strength we need to endure, to run with perseverance. But there's not only endurance, there's also encouragement. Encouragement, as Paul puts it here in verse 8, when he tells us that Christ became a servant to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises to the patriarchs. He means there the promises that God gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. How comforting it is to know that God never fails to fulfill His promises and remains committed to His people even when they might not be as committed to Him as they should. 
It's through both of these ways, endurance and encouragement, that meditation upon God's Word stimulates, sustains hope. You see, this is one of the reasons why basic Bible is one of the four disciplines of church vitalization. You know, we're in this revitalization process that we've been in for more than a year. And that was one of the four disciplines that we talked about at the beginning of this and that I preached on the importance of basic Bible. And it's why this letter to the church at Rome was chosen for this preaching series because this is basic Bible. It's New Testament and the gospel of Jesus Christ at the same time. It's the Old Testament with all of these texts that Paul quotes to make sure that we understand the principles of which he speaks. And as we spend time in God's Word, as we read it, as we reflect upon it, study it, we find that our hope is awakened and sustained. And what brings renewal and revitalization any better than hope as the power of God's Holy Spirit makes that realization come alive in our hearts. As David reminds us in Psalm 19, he tells us the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Think about that. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Indeed, God's law, His prophets, His gospels, His letters, His wisdom literature, all of it renews, invigorates, revitalizes, all in conjunction with the work of the Holy Spirit. And this is part of what Paul is saying right at the end of our text. After he's quoted these three Old Testament verses, verses all having to do with the Gentiles and how they will glorify God for His mercy, and one quotation each from the three major sections of the Old Testament. In other words, one of them's from the law, one of them's from the prophets, one of them is from the writings. Then, that's when Paul gives us that wonderful prayer, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of His Holy Spirit you might abound in hope. Notice how he says, with all joy and peace in believing. It's the same joy and peace we were talking about in last week's passage. And though he emphasizes here how it's tied to faith, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you and I might abound in hope regardless of what's going on in our lives. You see, keying on the Lord Jesus through God's Word by His Spirit leads to faith which allows us to abound in the hope that is ours that can only be found in Christ. You know, do you believe that? Do you know that kind of hope? Is your hope a living hope like Peter tells us? Or is it alive one moment and dead the next? Those are important questions to think about. Because if our hope is weak in life, then that's why we need to spend more time in God's Word. Because as Paul's been telling us, his word sustains and awakens the hope that is ours to claim in Jesus. One night at dinner, a man who had spent 
many summers in Maine as a younger man, fascinated his friends, relating some experiences about a little town he had stayed in in some of that time called Flagstaff. The town was to be flooded on purpose. It was going to become that whole surrounding area part of a large lake that was being made because they were putting a dam on a river that was close by. And since that flood was in its future, he was telling his friends how interesting it was to watch the townspeople and how they responded to that news that would be coming some months down the road. Because what happened was that all improvements and repairs ceased. You know, homeowners began to think, well, why should I paint the trim on the house? Why should I repair that, that gutter? Why should I re-roof when everything's going to be flooded in just a few months? And the business owners were the same way. If there was a cracked window, it stayed cracked. Shrubbery wasn't trimmed. And he said, after time, the place just began to look terrible. It just looked worse and worse as time went on and as it came closer to the time of forming that lake. And he told his friends it taught him something very important. He said he found out that where there is no faith in the future, there is no power in the present. Where there's no faith in the future, there's no power in the present. Paul has that faith in the future all the way into eternity. This is the Apostle Paul, remember, who's telling you and me that we can abound in hope. This is the same Paul who spent a lot of time in jail and prison. This is the same Paul who was stoned, who was beaten with rods, who was shipwrecked, who was in uh, extremes of cold and heat, who was hungry, who was persecuted, who was chased out of city after city. That Paul knows that he abounds in hope because of Jesus Christ and the encouragement and the endurance that comes from God's holy word. And that's why he prays that prayer at the end of this passage. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you might abound in hope. May that be true for you and me this day and in the days to come as we seek to live for God's honor and glory. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Dear Father, we do thank you for this passage that emphasizes